This congregation has partnered with the uh, New Mexico Christian Children's Home and the Children's Home of Lubbock for several years, uh, and that is providing a, pl a safe place for kids to live and to grow up and to uh, learn about God and, and what he means in our lives. And uh, we have taken the opportunity for the last several years, uh, sometime during uh, September, to have a special contribution to uh, be used for both uh, children's homes. Uh, you know, I have been on the board of the New Mexico Christian Children's Home since 1986, I think. I, I know I don't look that old, but I am. Uh, and, you know, it, it always amazes me. I go up there, and then sometimes you get finished with those board meetings, and you think, why in the world do I do this? Because it seems like we just knock our heads against the wall. And then you sit and you look at the kids, and you remember. You remember. Because I want to tell you, a lot of these kids, now, a lot of them don't have a chance. They, they really are living in a, a, a situation through no fault of their own. Now, mind you, it's not a fault of their own. They don't have a chance. And by the, by the, the gifts that you've given, you give them a chance, number one, at life, and number two, to know God. And, you know, what a great gift that you can give someone that they have a chance at life and a chance at God. Uh, if you don't, if you've never been to either one of these uh, places, uh, shame on you, uh, because you need to go. Uh, and I will tell you, uh, you can talk to Tommy Spoons or Eric or Tom Pittman, and I can guarantee you they would be happy for you to show up anytime. Just all, all you have to do is let them know you want to be there. Go look at it. Uh, uh, and, and you need to look in the eyes of the kids. And you need to understand how selfless the people are that live there, that work there. Because I want to tell you something, folks. This is not a place you go to make a lot of money and have a great retirement. Unless you're talking about your eternal retirement. And then it's pretty good. But, you know, you, you talk about people that have to deal with... Uh, kids that come from all backgrounds, all uh, upbringing, uh, all raising, uh, you know, some of them don't really have a whole lot of idea how you, how you work together and how you live together and, uh, you know, how you take turns and uh, how you're supposed to make your bed and pick up after yourself. And you've got a broad spectrum of people that are there and you've got people that are doing that, that are with those kids on a daily basis basis, an hourly basis, and they give of themselves. Pretty selfless. But you really, you know, uh, it's just one of those things you really need to go up and see and understand what people do and where their hearts really are and, uh, and what a difference they can make in so many lives. And the nice thing about it is whether it's through buying a Christmas present or writing a card or making a contribution today, you have made a difference in kids' lives. And uh, today we're going to have Tom Pittman. He's going he's to preach to us. And then the class time is going to be uh, split between the Children's Home of Lubbock and the 
New Mexico Christian Children's Home, and they're going to kind of give an update on some things that happened there. And I will tell you, there are a lot of exciting things that are happening in both places, and please stay for that. I think you'll really be impressed and, uh, and be proud of where uh, we're partnering and the things that they're doing. And, uh, and if you want to give a little more money after it's over, I'm sure we could probably arrange to take that too. So anyway, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Tom. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I have uh, some roots here, and uh, uh, I'm also one of those kids that was there in 1968. So, so I appreciate and everything that you all do and the heart you have for, for children. Um, I want to talk today about um, ad- identity crisis. And uh, I believe that uh, we're going through an identity crisis as a country, maybe more so uh, than that, anything I've ever seen in my life. When I, you know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and it felt like that during that time, I kind of knew what, what life was about, and I kind of knew, I had a feeling of a certainty, but now I, have a, I don't have that certainty now, and I feel like that we as a nation and as ind- people as individuals, uh, especially, you know, our, our kids, all of our kids are searching for uh, something that they, they can hang their hat on. So I want to start off with um, some lighthearted uh, stuff. It's not going to be a belly laugh for you, but uh, it's just some cartoons that I found that uh, a light way to lead you into something a little more heavy. Um, so they're going through an identity crisis, uh, and it's a matter of uh, process of elimination. Well, I'm not that, so I must be something else. Um, Here's one that's maybe relevant uh, these days, and now, that's all I'll say about that. But uh, here's another one that's kind of relevant. I wish you'd quit calling me Pretty Polly. My name's Rodney. <laughs> and this one actually tells is really my sermon today. Uh, you all know about Dracula. He can't see himself in the mirror. He always thought he was the invisible man because he never did see. You know, this is uh, actually uh, really the gist of, kind of the gist of what I want to talk about today in a light way. Uh, nothing's safe anymore. They can even steal your identity crisis. So let me read you a little allegory here. This is the best I could do with my graphics, okay? So just pardon the, the amateur hour here. Once upon a time, there lived a sea lion who had lost the sea. He lived in a distant country known as the Barren Lands, high on a plateau far from any coast. It was a place so dry and dusty that it could only be called a desert. A kind of coarse coast, a kind of coarse grass grew in patches here and there, and a few trees were scattered across the horizon, but mostly it was dust. I'm I'm not describing hobs. I can talk about hobs. I grew up here, so. Uh, And sometimes wind, which together make one very thirsty. Of course, it must seem strange to you that such a beautiful creature should wind up in a desert at all. He was, mind you, a sea lion. But things like this do happen. 
How the sea lion came to the barren lands, no one can remember. It all seemed so very long ago. So long, in fact, it appeared as though he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. How could that be? He was, after all, a sea lion. But as you know, once you have lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how odd, you come to think of it as home. That's a that's kind of a, a of a sad statement there. But it but it's true of of many of of our lives. It's it's true sometimes of church in general, it's true of our society, it's true of of individuals. How we can think that where we're living and how we're living is home, even though it was never meant to be like this. You know, everybody is searching. Everybody is searching. You know, at times, I'm still going through an identity crisis. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up and and I forget who I am. And I I think as a church, we get up some mornings and, and we forget who we are. So I'm hoping to, to kind of get us to thinking about this. You know, God never meant for us to be in a world like this. He knew it was going to happen, but that wasn't, his, that wasn't His intent for us. In, in Acts, Paul was talking, when he went to, the, to Athens and he, he saw the... the the uh, uh, monument to an unknown God, and he and he told the people there. He says, "Y'all, are, I see you're very religious, and you and you have this monument to an unknown God." And and then he he said begins to tell them about the, who this unknown God is, the one God. And but he said he says you grope around and you're searching for God, and that's the way all people are. Everyone, not. Everyone is searching for God. They may not even know it, but they are. You know, we, we're all searching for our, some kind of an identity, and I can prove this because um, if you turn the television on, uh, there is a billion, billion dollar industry called advertising. And its sole purpose is to give you an identity based on a product, based on something you use on your hair, or something you drink, or eat, or wear, or whatever. But it's try- they're trying to give you, well, they're trying to make you buy something because they know that you're searching for an identity, and they know that, if you, that, that you're, you're susceptible to what they're marketing because of the search for our, our identity. Um. And Paul talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians where he talked about uh, groups, how we search for identity through groups, even in the church, uh, outside the church, everywhere. We use groups to uh, define who we are. Denominations define who you are. People say, I'm this or I'm that denomination. And it's, it's an identity that they're trying to align with. We base our identity on uh, race, religion, age, gender, gender confusion, uh, and in, any number of things that will uh, give us some sense of who we are. 
we as Americans, we, we uh, call ourselves, or did, or once did, called ourselves a Christian nation. Um, it's hard to uh, sustain that as I see our country. Israel once was a chosen nation. And we know through reading the Old Testament and, and even the New that of how, that, how they walked away from God and they, and they lost their identity. So I'm going to throw out some, um, some technical words, but uh, there is a such thing as identity diffusion. Now that's just a fancy way of saying that sometimes in the search for identity, people just get apathetic. <laughs> they just... They just quit searching, you know. And um, I think a good, uh, a good description of that is in Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, where uh, the psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And he didn't find any. They've all turned aside, he said. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. It's easy to just fall into the patterns of people around us. This is what happened to Israel. They just started looking like the people that they lived with. And God warned them about that. But they, but they, but they lost their sense of who they were, and they, and they just started becoming like everybody else. That's the herd mentality. In 1 Corinthians, we find that same kind of mentality in the church, where he says, some of you say, you're of Paul, some of Apollos, some, you know, it's like, some of Peter, and some of Christ. People align with certain uh, doctrines, or certain philosophies, or certain certain personalities, and we do that, and they, and they do that because they're trying to find a sense of who they are, a sense of their identity. There's also something called a identity moratorium. <laughs> this is actually a good, this is a fancy, another fancy word uh, for saying that they, people just put their identity on hold and then start to explore and see what's out there. Now, this is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. For the church, for someone who's trying to get the gospel out to the world, this is a great place to be because they're searching. We call them searchers, right? People that are, they're, they're open to anything, you know. They're just casting about, looking for something that will give them meaning in their heart, give them meaning in their life. And we be, listen, we have it. We have it. We've got that thing. We've got that thing that is absolutely meaningful, that has ultimate meaning and absolute meaning. And we, but sometimes we we keep it hidden. But we're they're searching, and they're and they just might be ready to hear what we have to say about Jesus Christ. However, here's the thing. If we're going to have something to say to anybody, we have to know what it is that we were supposed to be. We have to know what was God's intent for us. 
And if you look back into the book of Genesis, we start to start from the very beginning when God created man out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into man, and man became a living soul. That's, he didn't do that to any of the animals. He only did that to man. Now, I, I, I submit to you that that was not uh, um, air. <laughs> he didn't give us a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. We became a living soul. We got a piece of God. We got something of this. We got the Spirit of God in, and we became an, alive, alive, truly alive forever. And, and that's what God meant for us to be an image bearer of Him. Always we were supposed to be the image bearer of Him. That carries into the New Testament. It never, it never stopped being the truth that we're supposed to be the image bearers of God. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, rule over and subdue the earth. He gave us quite a bit of, of control. Um, and that caused us some problems. <laughs> because the greatest example of identity theft took place in the garden when what God gave us, we turned over to Satan. Because we listened to what he said. And I'm just saying we. I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. But you know what? That's a, that, has, that, that thing has been repeated life after life after life ever since then. There's come a time in everyone's life where we have turned over what God gave us to Satan. So, God intended for us to be an image bearer. He intended us to to have dominion over the earth. He also, this is a very special verse, and I I just, it it should be something that we, maybe we should hang it on our wall, maybe we should get up every morning and read this verse in 1 Peter 2, 9-10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is such a powerful statement, and that really says it all. And this is, uh, you know, this came from the Old Testament. God in Deuteronomy and in several times in the Old Testament said, "You're you're my possession. You you belong to me. You're supposed to be my children. You're supposed to be mine." But we run away from home. Now going into the to the New Testament, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, Now you are Christ's body 
and individually members of it. Now, I don't believe that that's just an allegory. I believe he said just exactly what he meant, and that is exactly what it means. That we are Christ's body. That ought to give us pause. Daily pause. And individually, we're members of the body of Christ. How, how, how powerful is that statement? Listen to if Paul's, uh, what he says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. As I read this, think about belonging, about your ancestry. Not your earthly ancestry, but your holy ancestry. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. That's our ancestry. That's the beginning of who we are, in whom the whole building, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a temple of, in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That sounds like a lot going on there inside of us, right? Inside of our soul, in our spirit. So, we're supposed to live like Jesus. Now, this is where... It, see, I appreciate you doing that because I told you I would forget to go on. <laughs> Thank you, uh, so, uh, in 1 Peter, again, 2, verses 21 through 25, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Keep that in our mind here, because I'll bring that back at the end. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. These next uh, uh, verses are... Let me see if I can get that to change. I'll let you change it. <clears throat> this, is, this is tough stuff here, so... I'll, I'm just going to read these and then I'll, I'll, I'll say something. Therefore I, this is Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one for me to live out every day. That's a tough one. I can forget that ten minutes after I leave this auditorium. I can forget who I'm supposed to look like, why I'm here, who I'm supposed to be. And see, a lot of times, what we do with that is, we just end it by saying, well, nobody's perfect. And that's true. I have no argument with that. But that's not really the way Paul kind of expressed that. And I really like the way he expressed... See, Paul's a human being just like me and you. And I think he had those kinds of struggles too. How do you live this out? Humility, gentleness. I mean, how, 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 do, you, how do you do that? And Paul said in, in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, we're all pretty familiar with this verse, I think. He said, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. I press on. So that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in any, anything you have a different attitude... God will reveal also that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. This see, this is heart stuff. This this can't you can't even even give this to God if it's not in your heart. This is stuff, this is a, a desire in our heart when we're looking at Christ and saying, I want to be like you, I want to be like you. But Lord, I fall short every day, every minute. And he said, and Paul said, just keep pressing forward. Yes, you do fall short. We all fall short. Just keep pressing forward. Have that attitude. This is where I want to go. This is where I'm headed. And, I, and the Holy Spirit is there inside of us. Inside of us who have been baptized and followed Christ. And that's the part I was going to bring up at the end. You cannot, I, I see no way <laughs> that you can follow Christ without going through the baptismal waters. Because He did. And so if you follow Christ, you've got to go there. <laughs> so, that's a little, not a little, but that's an important thing there. Um, we just got to keep pressing forward, knowing that we, that we don't, that we don't, uh, do it often. So how do we resolve this crisis? Here's the, 
like, how do we bring this home? Bring it home. <laughs> um, there's the first thing we have to do is we have to have trust. Do we believe? Do we believe the words in this Bible? And we would all say that. I'm I'm confident, and that's what, and that's what gives us the trust. We, in order to resolve this identity thing, we have to trust. We have to believe, believe. But it's not like yes, I believe that there is a screen on this front row, or I believe this. Belief to the point of trust. Ephesians one. 13 through 14. In him, all, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. There we are again. God's own possession. God has sealed us. He, has given, he said He has given us. Do we take advantage of what He has given us? It, it's a struggle. It's a struggle in our life to take advantage daily, on a daily basis. When life is coming at you at full speed, when life is hitting you, and there's no time sometimes to stop and go, you know, who am I? You know, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And so this all has to be inside of our heart and, we, and it has to be something that we cultivate and nurture every day. We do that together on certain days, but we need to do that individually at our own, in our own closet, in our own daily communion with Christ. Otherwise, it doesn't become second nature to us and it's a struggle to react. Now here's the, in uh, Titus it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There it is again. His own possession. And it says, zealous for good deeds. Not because we think we can work our way into heaven because we can't, but because we realize what Christ has done for us and we're zealous to follow Him, to love Him, and to increase and mature and grow in that love and that, and that desire to follow Him. Here's the, uh, the next thing is autonomy. This is the one that gets, this, that gets ugly here. My will versus His will. See, this is what went wrong in the garden. This is what went wrong with Israel. This is what went wrong with every human being that ever lived or ever will live. We are fighting God with our will. And you know how easy that is to do? 
even if you're a Christian, even if you're a devout Christian, there are times when you just lapse and you step over into your will and sometimes you don't even notice it. You don't even realize it's happening. But you're living by your will, not His will. So, <clears throat> Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, there's the, there's the thing. This is what's wrong with my will. This is what's wrong with my idea about controlling my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick when I go there. I'm desperately sick when I go to my will. Now, if you would turn over to Romans chapter 7, this is a... I've re- you know, you've read this a, a, a million times, I know. Um, start with verse 7. It's kind of long here, but pardon me. <clears throat> well, then I'm suggesting that the law of God is... No, well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact... It was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. And I looked up that Greek word and it's like lust. It's lust. And lust is my will gone wrong. I want something. Whatever it might be. I want something and I'm going to have what I want. And I'm going to go get it, and I'm going to, and I don't care. I'm going to, I got to have that. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. That, that's what it is. And so the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And, and Paul said, <laughs> It aroused this in me. I often, well, let me just keep reading here for a minute. Uh, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. (laughs) For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, which is actually flesh. My flesh is what the word is. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't know, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Here, I wondered about this. So is Paul saying that, well, I, 
you know, I really don't want to murder, but sometimes I just get angry and that I do, so I'm ha- struggling with that. Or is he saying, well, I just, you know, I, I want to not lie, but sometimes I do. Or is, Paul, is, is that the struggle that Paul's talking about? Or is Paul talking about the struggle that we all have, and that is releasing our will and, be, and, ta- and letting God take control? See, that, that seems to be the, what the struggle is, is that it's easy for a human being, no, you know, we can come to church, we can love God with all our heart, and we can go out and before we know it, we can be living and operating out of our own will. And that's a struggle. And nothing good ever comes out of operating out of our own will. We were meant to surrender to God's will. We were meant for God to give us the instructions of how to live our lives and how to, in every reaction that we're supposed to have with people, with uh, situations, with whatever. God wants to, I, us to relinquish our will, surrender our will, and allow Him to take control. And He gave us the Holy Spirit. <laughs> For that very reason, to help us, to help us do that. But you know what? We can quench the Holy Spirit. This is the struggle that we're all faced with, everyone. We're faced with this trying to take control where God wants to be the one. And, and that's in everything. So... What, what, how, do, how does this... How do we change this? How do we... What, what is it that will motivate us to change? And this is uh, really pretty simple, actually. Um, look at the Old Testament and you see, you see God doing amazing things for Israel. Even when Israel was, was really thumbing their nose at him, he still was gracious to Israel. He still loved Israel, and he still was trying to woo them back. Look at what Jesus did. I mean, that right there speaks for itself. Because we were lost, period we could not find our way back by ourselves. Nothing in us could ever have brought us only the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. How do we respond to that? Is that motivation or not? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, He said, He was telling the Pharisees, He said, You search the Scriptures. Because you think that they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refused to come to me to receive this life. This This is our problem. Reading the Bible is critical. But if the Bible doesn't bring us to the foot of the cross, if it doesn't bring us 
to Jesus Christ Himself, who, by the way, is in this room right now. The promise says He is. And I believe it. And we can feel Him. And His Word brings us closer to Him and it introduces us more and more into who He is. And that means who He is is who we are. Because we're the body of Christ. That we should not be suffering from an, from an, from an identity crisis. But we do sometimes. But we can remember. We can remember this. This is, a, this is, our, this is our daily struggle. I, I know that even though we're in church, we... Um, and, and we want to, to reach people who are, who are lost or people who don't know and people who, are don't, who don't know. We have to live this. We have to live this. And part of living this is to tell people, you know, I don't do it perfect. I don't do it. But I just keep pressing on. I just keep pressing on. I ain't perfect. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we're going to keep pressing on and we have this vision of Christ in our, right in our front mirror, right, right, right in there. And when we look in the mirror like Dracula, when we look in there, uh, we ought to, what we need to be seeing is Jesus. And we need to say, okay, this, I need, I need to change. I need something, there's something wrong with me. And the first step, to that relationship, the first step to that identity uh, crisis uh, resolve is, is to believe that He is who He is. And then we've got to follow Him. And I, it's like you just, I mean, like I said, you, the Bible says <laughs> Jesus got baptized. You can't follow, if you don't get baptized and you, took, you went around the thing <laughs> in order to follow Christ. We have to be baptized. Baptism, though, listen, needs to be, we need to teach this to our young people and to whoever is, in, is interested in, in learning about this. Baptism is more than just a ceremony. This is something that is a heart thing. This is a death inside my heart. This is a death to this world. It is dying, literally. Not physically, but in a much more real way to self. And saying, I know I'm probably, I'm not going to do this right all the time, but Lord, this is my intent. I love you, Lord, and this is the way I want to go. And you just teach me. Take me. And He will. He'll, he will do that. So that's our first, that's the first place we go. So if you're here today and you haven't taken that first step, that is a, a critical, essential step to take. And it's not going to be something you will ever, ever regret. <laughs> and, and life begins there and your identity begins there. And sometimes, maybe there's people that, that someone here who has forgotten who they are. I know, I do. And we need to, re, be re, we need to remind ourselves. And we need to remind each other who we are in Christ. Whatever that need might be, if you have a need, I'm 
the elders here will be more than happy to read to join you in prayer while we stand and sing this song.